Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We pray that you would be with those who are not able to be with us this morning, whether because of uh, the illnesses that are going around the area right now or a, a long-term uh, illness, long-term recovery from a surgery, um, or, or, or some other reason. We pray that you would be with them right now, uh, that they would feel the power of the Holy Spirit and know that in what way they can, they are worshiping right along with their church family right now through that Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are a living God. That you are not a God who created the universe and then stepped back and said, have fun. But you are a God who is intimately acquainted with every detail of our lives. And your plan impacts every aspect of our lives. And you love us so much that you wanted to save us from the hopeless state we were in by providing a way for us to be rescued from that through the death and resurrection of your son. We have so much to be grateful for. We have so much to be grateful for about your word as well. That in this chaotic and dark time, we can always turn to it for your truth, the truth that we can always anchor our souls into. I pray that you bless our time this morning, that your spirit would go forth and our hearts would be changed. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here are some little known facts about sheep, whether or not you want to hear them right now. You, you're going to hear them. <laughs> there are only four animals in the entire world that have rectangular pupils. Goats, toads, octopuses, apparently that's the plural of that, and sheep. Only one of four animals in the entire world that have rectangular pupils. And this, they help them have greater depth perception and peripheral vision to avoid predators. One of the most used forms of communication between sheep amongst themselves is through their sense of smell. They actually have scent glands in front of their eyes and between the parts of their hooves that secrete smelly substances to communicate with each other. But guys, I don't think you can get away with that excuse. Sheep do not have two top front teeth. They break down their food by moving it against a hard upper palate in their mouths. Sheep teach each, each generation to eat certain medicinal plants that hold no other nutritional value to them in order to uh, treat different ailments, and they pass along that information to the next generation. And lastly, sheep have excellent memories. Remembering up to 50 other sheep faces, apparently they differ that much, <laughs> and remembering human faces for up to two years. So if someone calls you a dumb sheep in the future and you know they're not entirely right, you can smile and tell them, why, thank you for the compliment. Jesus as the Good Shepherd is one of the most famous accounts, images, and parables in all of Scripture. 
As with everything else Jesus says, especially in his illustrations, there is so much in these images. This illustration that Jesus begins in our passage today, he will develop more and more throughout the rest of this chapter. Today, we're looking at the players at the basic level, which Jesus will build upon throughout this conversation. So to start off one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, we need to set up the setting for what will follow. In our Bibles, we're starting chapter 10 of the book of John. But in the, in the original Greek, there were no chapter divisions or even verse labels. The chapters of the Bible were added by Stephen Langton, one of the archbishops of Canterbury around 1227 AD. And the first edition of the Bible to include both the chapters and the verses we use today was the Geneva Bible, published in 1560 AD. So the division of scripture into the chapters and verses we have today is a relatively modern invention. While that has absolutely no bearing on the words, punctuation, or meaning of scripture, what it does sometimes is that the modern chapter and verse divisions cause us to lose the immediate context and setting of what is being said. The beginning of chapter 10 is a perfect example of this, and that's why I went through that real quick. If you removed the divisions of chapters and verses, what setting would we have here? Would it be different from where we ended chapter 9 with? There's a big hint for you. Would it be different from where we ended chapter 9 with? Sort of baiting you with this. Would it differ from where we ended in chapter 9? No. Some of you need more coffee. <laughs> in fact, we have not left the setting of the end of chapter 9. It's all still the same as where we were last week. So who do we've got? We've got Jesus, the Pharisees, who had ironically sought some kind of assurance from Jesus as to their spiritual state, and possibly still the healed man who we've spent the past month on, that he's still sticking around as well. After all, as we looked at last week, Jesus has given him all that he's ever needed through faith in Jesus as the Messiah. I don't think he'd be too quick to jet off from Jesus at this point. Now, all of this is important because it all directly bears on the understanding of what Jesus says in parable form following what we talked about last week. If you remember, the Pharisees wanted some reassurance from the one they'd been arguing with, threatening, and excommunicating people from the synagogue over that they indeed had it all right this entire time. But as we looked at last week, Jesus tells them that because they think they're the only ones who can spiritually see, based on their perceived self-righteousness and non-existence of sin and lack of humility, repentance, and taking Jesus as the only Savior from their sin, in reality, they're these spiritually blind ones. So what we're looking at today is an extension of what Jesus has just said at the end of chapter 9. This illustration is an extension of what Jesus has just said at the end of chapter 9. 
To who had Jesus just directed his statement about spiritual blindness? Who was he directing that at? The Pharisees. Immediately flowing out of verse 41 from last week in chapter 9, Jesus is still directing this famous parable at the Pharisees. The main point of the following parable is to tear apart the Pharisees' ingrained view of God and to show what his relationship to people really is. Knowing all of that, let's pick up with chapter 10, verse 1. So if you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to John 10. And we'll be in the very first verse. If you didn't, that's okay. There should be a Bible located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to John chapter 10 or look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. But John chapter 10, verse 1, we read, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. According to one biblical scholar, John 10.22 sets the background for this imagery. In verse 22, it's written that all of this is leading up to the Feast of Dedication, or the Jewish observance of Hanukkah, which John writes happens in the winter, just as it continues to take place in the winter today. So in the wintertime, flocks of sheep were kept in pens at night, surrounded by stone walls and one door. On top of these stone walls, the shepherds would pile up briars as sort of first century Jewish barbed wire to deter would-be thieves. Only the actual shepherd who cared about the well-being of the sheep would go in and out through the door of the pen. If anyone else had any other motivation and goal, they could only get in by climbing over the stone walls and dealing with those briar-covered branches. The only ones who would dare having to deal with those briars would be thieves and robbers. They're the only ones that would think it would worth, be worth it. Thieves stole livestock and robbers attacked fellow humans on their travels through remote areas to steal their belongings. Let's skip ahead for a second to the last verse of this morning's passage, verse 6. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. Who are we talking about again? The Pharisees. The Pharisees who had just thrown out the man who, had, who was previously blind from temple access simply did not understand that Jesus was referring to them as those thieves and robbers. And Jesus will have to expand on that more further on in verse, at the beginning part of verse 10, which we'll take a deeper look at next week when he says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's the only goal the thief has. Now who else do we know of who has this same sole goal? Satan. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking. This is what he's constantly doing looking for someone to devour. Even for the Pharisees, 
They understood this same truth about Satan, for the entire story of Job is based on what? Satan destroying Job's life in an attempt to get him to curse out God. Now, I'm not sure if the Pharisees still didn't understand this connection Jesus makes in verse 10 or not, but for us, we can clearly see that Jesus is making the veiled, but also not so veiled statement that the Pharisees are acting in the same spirit as the devil himself. Both of their goals is ultimately the same, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Those are very powerful words for Jesus to say to these people, aren't they? Furthermore, as we'll see in the near future, the Pharisees are also acting like hired hands who cared nothing for the sheep they were supposed to protect and provide for. As soon as the slightest hint of trouble comes their way, they bolt from their responsibility to lead and shepherd. Jesus goes on to say, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. He flees because he is a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. Now, Jesus' references to the Pharisees being thieves, robbers, and uncaring hired hands was meant to expand on their spiritual blindness to the truth. Again, as we've seen, the Pharisees' worldview and belief that they and others like them were the only ones God loved because of their self-righteous adherence to the Jewish law was not only pathetically wrong and from the pit of hell, but the fact that they were wielding that lie to kick innocent people out of access to worshiping God in the temple was only destructive. In fact, by the Pharisees imposing this blatant lie of being able to earn your way into salvation from sin by following every rule in the law onto everyone else and cutting off everyone who disagreed with them from access to the temple, they were following in the very footsteps of Satan, the original destroyer. The Pharisees' blindness prevented them from seeing this but they actually had the same end result, deception and destruction of souls. Extending that a little bit, any message or perpetrator of a message that claims that you can get into heaven or earn salvation or incur any favor with God, or tap into some kind of higher power completely separate from putting your trust in Jesus, dying and rising again on your behalf to rescue you from your sinful state, is not only perpetuating a lie straight from the pit of hell, but it's the, same, it's the end goal that is exactly the same as Satan's, deception and destruction of your soul. Only by going through Jesus, that is by recognizing that he paid your debt of death for your sin and rose again to give you eternal life is our only hope of salvation. Reconciliation with God and therefore entrance into heaven. 
any kind of belief that you're simply good enough to get in on your own is a complete lie meant only to deceive you, steal the truth from you, and ultimately destroy you. That's what brings us to our only hope, the Good Shepherd, and the only one whose voice we recognize and connect with. I wanted to discuss the ones that the message that only sought to steal, kill, and destroy first. And now I want to focus the rest of our time on the Good Shepherd, our eternal hope. So let's go back to verse 2. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. As pointed out by one biblical scholar, there were other shepherds who came before the Messiah, who also shepherded the nation of Israel, whose voice Israel listened to. But in all of these instances, Moses, David, the prophets, they were all meant to point to each of their ultimate fulfillment, the Messiah. Deuteronomy says that the Messiah would be the greatest prophet and leader Israel would have following Moses. 2 Samuel says that the Messiah would be the greatest king and leader Israel would have following David. And the prophets confirmed all of this and revealed more of this messianic king's mission, purpose, and kingdom. Verse 2, as we read, is a very simply written verse, isn't it? I'm going to read it again. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. It's a very simply written verse, isn't it? It's point blank. It needs no other clarification. Jesus is the good shepherd who doesn't need to manipulate situations or people or lie to them or try to convince them that he is. He simply exists as the good shepherd who enters the sheep gate based on that irrevocable truth. In the same way, Jesus, as our only way to salvation, simply is. There's no manipulation or lies, or trying to convince us. He is simply God, the one way to salvation from sin, and the only way to enter heaven. We can either take it or leave it, but that doesn't change the fact that it's the truth. It's either God that opens our spiritual eyes to see it and take it for ourselves, or he doesn't, and we don't. It's, very, it's really very simple. When the Good Shepherd leads us to the place in our life, when we realize that we can never be good enough to get into heaven through our own good works or inherent goodness because our sin separates us from God, and we recognize that Jesus paid the debt our sin has justly incurred, death on our behalf, and rose again to prove his deity with the Father and to provide forgiveness for our sin and use that as the basis for repenting of our sin and asking God for forgiveness, we then become one of the good shepherd's sheep. We then become one of his fold. We get to experience the protection and the provision and the blessing of being one of his sheep. And we get the gift of 100% knowing that we will be with him in heaven forever. There's another gift we receive as becoming one of Jesus' sheep. 
verses 3 through 5. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. These are very peace-filled words, aren't they? very reminiscent of Psalm 23. This imagery was well known to the people of Jesus' day. They knew that shepherds named their sheep and called those sheep out of their pen each morning by those names. They also knew that the sheep would only come running and follow the shepherd whose voice they recognized. Remember how I told you at the beginning of this message about sheep's excellent ability to remember things like faces and voices. Here's where it comes back again. In fact, the sheep simply would not go anywhere close to the person whose voice they did not recognize. They would openly run away from any voice they did not recognize. All of that factors into our understanding of us as sheep recognizing, listening to, and following Jesus' voice and Jesus' voice alone. Similarly, there were a couple of scientific studies done over the past 20 years in which scientists sought to determine if there was a connection between a child in his or her mother's womb hearing the mother's voice and what kind of impact that had on that child's development. In one study during the final stage of different women's pregnancies, the study involved keeping track of the child's heart rate when he or she heard the mother's voice and what it was when a stranger's voice was introduced. And what they found was that the child always recognized his or her mother's voice and their heart rate always sped up because they were excited, proving that recognition and strong connection they felt to their mother's voice. And when a stranger's voice was introduced, the child's heart rate slowed down because they were trying to concentrate on listening to whose voice they didn't recognize and trying to figure out who that could be. From a biblical and therefore pro-life perspective, this also proves that unborn babies can not only notice when there's a voice, but recognize their mother's voice well before they're even born. Once kids are born, there was another study done determining how much of an impact a mother's voice has upon kids' development. That study showed that multiple areas of a child's brain lit up when they heard a recording of their mother's voice as opposed to another woman's. More than auditory areas of the brain, other areas such as emotion and reward processing, social functions, detection of what is personally relevant, and face recognition also lit up. A mother's voice has a profound impact on her child even before that child is even born. There is a powerful connection that's built on that voice, just the voice, that ends up directly affecting that child's social development as well. 
we can have that same, if not more, powerful connection of hearing God's voice and responding to it. Just like babies and kids who have that powerful connection with their mother's voice. See, it's not about if God will listen to our voice, just as the Pharisees believed and perpetuated, because he always listens to our voice. What it's really about is whether or not we're listening to God's voice. The author of Hebrews writes that in the past, God spoke audibly and through the prophets. But in these latter days, he speaks to us through the Son of God. And what does the same author who recorded this parable reveal to us about the Son of God? That he's also the Word of God. Again, in the beginning, the Word, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The entire Word of God, the whole Bible, is God's voice to us. But one can still read the Bible and never respond to the voice of God through it. That happens all the time throughout the thousands of years of human history. We've also been given another gift that also speaks with God's voice, who opens our spiritual eyes to understand the written voice of God. That gift is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus connects the Holy Spirit or the advocate or the counselor to himself as the voice that will bring to our minds the truth of God, not only for our salvation, but for our everyday lives. He tells his disciples, but when the Father sends the advocate or the Holy Spirit as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. And of course, God revealed what would happen in the future through the Holy Spirit's revelation to a person who was there at that point, the Apostle John, known to us simply as the New Testament book of Revelation. So for us today, the movement and leading of the Holy Spirit is the voice of God leading us, guiding us, giving us the wisdom to make difficult decisions, convicting us of sin in our lives, and growing in us the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. But the million-dollar question is this. Are we listening to Him? Are we listening to Him? God has given us His voice to listen to and to be led down good paths, green pastures, and still waters by. 
There's that reference to Psalm 23. There are a zillion other voices out there in the world all vying for our attention, for us to listen to and be led by. Politicians, social media, social media influencers, authors, multi-billionaires, news media outlets, cultural experts, talk show hosts, TV show writers, and powers of darkness in the unseen world. Who are we listening to? Who are we being influenced by and living our lives according to? There is only one voice we must be listening to. And it's not popular, it's not politically correct, and it doesn't have thousands of likes and shares, but it's very simple. And it's the only voice that will offer us true peace, true change, true hope. It's the voice of God found in his written word and the movement of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. By the way, God's voice will never contradict itself. In other words, if you feel the Holy Spirit moving in you to make a certain decision or live a certain lifestyle, it must line up perfectly with what God has already revealed and instructed in his written word. If you sense what could be the Holy Spirit's leading in you about something, you have to first search his word to see if it confirms what is pleasing to God and what he wants for our lives. If God's word doesn't, or what you're sensing or thinking goes completely contrary to God's clear instruction in his word, then guess what? That is not the voice of God. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's another voice trying to deceive you, perhaps even the voice of the enemy, the one who only wants to steal your joy and destroy your life. God's word is always the standard we must hold everything up to. Similarly, are we running away from voices that don't line up with God's word and his standards? The voices of strangers, whether they're progressive so-called pastors, or horoscope writers, or promoters of karma, or people who claim that they can speak to the dead, or people who claim that Jesus only preached love and acceptance and ignore everything else he preached about on repentance, change, judgment of souls, and salvation only being through him. Are you running away from those voices? If we're not reading God's word on a daily basis, if we're not regularly listening to teaching on it, if we don't really know what's in it, then it's very easy to be led away by different and other voices. And if we're not seeking to be as in tune with the Holy Spirit in light of God's word as much as possible, then it's also very easy to be led away by other and different voices. Remember, God's word flat out tells us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light oftentimes and knows the Bible very well 
and knows exactly how to twist it to achieve his own purposes. We see that all the time now. That is why it is so crucially and overwhelmingly important, as Jesus says in verse 4, to know the voice of Jesus. To know the voice of the shepherd. When we do that, when we seek to know God's voice through his word and seeking the Holy Spirit's revelation of what it means, we cultivate a tremendous gift. We can navigate through all these other messages and voices by holding firm to what we know the truth of God found in his word really is. We don't get tossed to and fro by other messages, other beliefs, other philosophies. We have a sure and unbreakable foundation being able to think clearly with a sound mind through everything the world and its experts throw at us. We are given the voice of peace. When we go through debilitating loss and heartache and times of darkness and anxiety and depression, we have the still, small voice of peace. The world does not have that. We have the still, small voice of peace. When we go through times of financial instability, we have the voice of the truth reminding us of God's perfect provision in His perfect timing. When we go through times of fear about what's going on in the world around us or fear about their future or our kids' future, we have the voice of peace calming us with the truth that God is still King. God still loves us, and God still has his perfect plan for us. When we go through times of rejection or emotional pain, we are given the love of God through the Holy Spirit. When we go through times of being drained of everything we are, when we go through a deep depression, we are given the joy of God through the Holy Spirit. When we go through times of upheaval, both national and personal, and crippling fear, we are given the peace of God through the Holy Spirit. When we go through times of frustration and anxiety and just wanting to force something to happen the way we want it to happen, we are given the patience of God through the Holy Spirit. When we go through times of moral confusion, not knowing what to do in any given situation, we are given the goodness and wisdom of God through the Holy Spirit. When we just can't deal with someone else anymore, and we have nothing left, we are given the kindness of God through the Holy Spirit. And when we're deep in the forces and power of addiction and temptation to sin and do something we know wouldn't please God and even what we know would destroy our lives, 
we are given the self-control or really spirit control of the Holy Spirit. In short, we are given the voice of God. How much are we listening to it in our everyday lives? How much are we seeking God on a daily basis in order to cultivate and grow our sensitivity to recognizing that voice and responding to that voice? Or are we content to just let it be lost and fade away in the roar of deceptive voices we're saturated by in this world from the moment we wake up to the moment we fall asleep? Revel in joy and peace of listening only to and responding only to the voice of Jesus through his sent Holy Spirit and himself being the revelation of God's written word. Grow that gift by using it and spending time with the one whose voice it is. And that voice will only get louder. And that voice will drown out all the other voices. Hold everything you hear in this world up to the standard, truth, wisdom, and authority of the Word of God and the Word of God only. When we do that, we will experience the life we were always meant to live. One filled with peace, provision, and hope that the voice of God calls out with. Answer him and follow his voice today. Not only today, but every day for the rest of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do not hide yourself from us. We thank you that you call out to us. You call out to us through your word and you call out to us through your Holy Spirit which you pour out upon us when we come to you in repentance and acceptance of Jesus as Savior of our sin and King over the rest of our lives. The giant question is, are we listening to you calling out to us? Do we recognize you? And do we run away from all the other strangers' voices? Lord, I pray that we would cultivate this gift that you have given to us. It is a tremendous, unspeakable gift of, the, of your written word and of the Holy Spirit you have given to us as the voice of God. I pray that we would grow it and cultivate it and use it and work it out so that it becomes louder and louder and louder and drowns out all the other voices of this world. And we can easily navigate through all the other messages and voices of this world. Because we know that every other voice is the stranger's voice, and the stranger's voice is ultimately the enemy's voice. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. May we always run away from that voice and only run to and listen to the voice of the shepherd. I pray this, I pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.